want to read a passage from the Word of God from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And he made you alive, who were dead in trespass and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, say that with me, but God. God steps into things, doesn't he? And everything changes after that. And here it is. Who is rich in his mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's what God is doing and he continues to work in our lives today. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. And we thank you in the name of Jesus for the wonderful power of the grace of God that reached to us while we were dead in our sins and you caused us to come alive in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your wonderful salvation. We thank you, Father, that we have a future and we have a hope that is in God. And so, Father, today I pray in the name of Jesus that you will be a great encourager all across this congregation. I pray that you're going to touch people's lives and their hearts. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to take the music and the word that is spoken and penetrate every one of our lives. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, let there be a strong sense of your presence today day in this house of worship. Father, let the blessing of God flow like a mighty river through this place. And Father, we thank you for loving us and for caring for us. You are amazing. You are awesome. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is Father's Day. <clears throat> and to all of the fathers in here and all the grandfathers and great-grandfathers, we we wish you the best today. I hope today is in some way going to be special for you, but we, we thank God for each one of you. We really do. And dads are an important part of our culture and especially in the church. I'm going to take a text out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, and if you'd like to turn there, you can follow me here in a moment. But, uh, but I thank the Lord for you. And um, we're, just, uh, we're just grateful for all of the dads. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to talk about what real men do. I, I had somebody come up to me. I remember this. Oh, this happened a long, long time ago. And I don't, I, honestly, I don't even recall who did it. But he says, oh, I, you know, I just kind of hate to come to church on Father's Day because the pastor always chooses out. <laughs> 
Well, that's, no, no, no. No, I'm not, I don't want to chew anybody out. That doesn't gain you anything. And, um, but I want to share some things that I, can, I think will help you to be a good dad. I believe a lot of you are good dads. I want to, uh, I want to share some things that will help you be even a better one, a stronger one. And so we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and beginning in verse 11. Just two verses this morning. But you, O man of God, I like that phrase, don't you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Real men. I came across this this week in my study and everything. I hope you get it. I'm not all that great on jokes. I, I honestly am not. I just, uh, you know, but I'm going to try it. I'm gonna, I, you know, I keep trying. I keep trying. You know, and after, uh, you know, I've been at this for quite a number of years. And so, and it asks the questions, how many real men does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is zero. Real men are not afraid of the dark. <laughs> OK, that, not bad, not bad. Yeah, kind of a C plus there, maybe. There was an author named Bruce uh, Fierstein who wrote a book, and it really became a catchphrase on a lot of things. The title of the book was Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. He then divided the, the men into two categories, real men and then quiche eaters. And uh, this is how he saw real men. And I've added, a, I've added one in here. I'm going to see if you can figure out which one I added. Uh, real men love John Wayne, chainsaws, Monday night football, Real men do not cry during Hallmark movies. <laughs> real men do not get their hair styled. Real men play Monopoly with real money. Real men love tractor pulling contests and many other things. Okay, which one was mine? <laughs> Hallmark. <laughs> Look, I have to live with that in my house. <laughs> so I've learned. We have two TVs in our house, one upstairs and one downstairs, so I can really kind of get an escape on that one. But, uh, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about real men, and especially real men of God. It has lots to say about it. Paul is writing to Timothy, whom Paul says, this is my son in the faith. And Paul was the pastor of a, uh, of a great church in Ephesus. It was a church that, that Paul founded. And then Timothy followed Paul as the pastor. And, but it was a church also that had some issues. And there were false teachers running around and all kinds of things. And that was sort of the order of the day among many churches at that time of that particular time. 
But Timothy was a real man of God, and he joins many other men of God that you'll find in the Bible. Personalities such as Moses, Elijah, Elisha, David, Peter, John, and there are many more. You can, you can list several others that are real men of God. So what does a real man of God look like? And I've got two or three things here I want to share with you this morning. First of all, a real man of God flees the acts of sin. He flees the acts of sin. Take a look at verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things. Now I asked the question when I was reading that, what things are you talking about here, Paul? And you have to step back a few verses, and in verse 6 he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he talks about all of the material things here. He talks about money. He talks about these things that can, that can subtly become traps in our lives and cause us to desire possessions, cause us to desire, I want this and I want this. And we've, we've, all, we've all dealt with that. We've all seen that in our lives. And not only men, but women too, and all of these things. And he says, flee these things. In other words, he, doesn't, he isn't saying it's bad to have good things. He's not saying that. He's not saying it's bad to have money. He's not saying that either. What he is saying is, it is, it is, a, it is a thing to be watchful. It is a thing to flee if the money starts to control me if the things start to control my life. You understand that? It, 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 when that starts to control me, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. My things, my possessions, these become more important in my life than my walk with God and my relationship with the Savior. Sometimes running or fleeing can be seen as a sign of, uh, uh, of being afraid, but sometimes it's a very clear sign of making a good, sound decision in your life and having courage. You know, at the age of probably around 17 or 18 years old, Joseph was sold into slavery by his, by his wicked, envious brothers. And that's a whole story in and of itself. Anyway, Joseph was sold into slavery. He was taken to a new culture, new surroundings, new people. It was a culture that was loaded with idolatry. And here's this young guy that loved God, that was committed to God, and he sat right down in the middle of it, just an incredibly idolatrous culture. And then to top it all off, he became the slave in Potiphar's house. That's one thing. But Potiphar's wife was a sinful, lustful kind of a woman. And she wanted, she wanted Joseph. And the Bible says Joseph ran from the house. He fled the sin. He fled the scene. He didn't stand there and argue with her. He didn't stand there and try to give her a Bible lesson or anything like that. He got out of the place. Flee. Flee. He took off, and it took courage to do that. Joseph is basically saying, no way. I'm not sinning against God. I'm not sinning against the faith that is a part of my life. I'm not doing this. I'm getting out of here. It was a sign of courage. 
Paul writes a good word of instruction in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 among the things that he says and that he says you are a temple of the living God. Now I isolated that part of that text because I want us to understand something folks that we are we're just not normal human beings running around here. God has filled us with his presence, with his power, with his person. We become the, the, the temple of God, we become the literal representation of God in all of these things. And Paul, in the context of that, he says, don't allow these other things to just invade your life and take over your life and, and control your life and manipulate your life in, in all kinds of different ways. Allow the Spirit of God to control you and become the temple of God as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Christ, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman today or whether you're a teenager, whether you're a little boy or a little girl, you become the temple of the living God. And you think about that. Think about that when, <clears throat> when you're confronted with the opportunity of sin. And we will be confronted with that. We, we're confronted with that probably on a daily basis if not literally something coming into our lives or, or perhaps even our thoughts or whatever it might be. I'm the temple of the living God. And I don't want an unclean thought dwelling in my mind and spirit. I don't want that. I think sometimes we just need to almost say that out loud. I don't want that. That's not going to be a part of my life. I'm not going to walk in that pathway. That's not who I am. I'm a representation of the living God. And I will not allow my life to become tarnished and emblazoned with the sin that is going to be there. I will not allow it. Paul writes a good word of instruction there. And so a, a real man of God not only flees the acts of sin, let me, let me catch you on this one too, not only flees the acts of sin, but also the attitude of sin. I think this is kind of twofold here just a little bit. We are to flee, we're to run, we're to leave it. How do we do this? It's by having a renewed mind in our lives. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, and I'm going to read this from the living or, not, or, or from the New Living uh, Translation. It says, so think clearly and exercise self-control. I mean, you can preach a whole sermon on just these two or three verses right here, pretty easy. Look forward to the special blessing that will come to you at the return of Christ. Obey God because you are his children. There it is. You are his children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better at the time. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you to be his children, is holy. For he himself said, you must be holy because I am holy. I could get off on a big tangent here pretty easily, and I'm not going to do that to this morning. But I'm telling you what, I believe there is a real need to speak about holiness in the congregation of Jesus Christ today. It is a topic that, 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 that sometimes I feel like we, we walk very lightly around it. We don't want to approach it uh, just stomping our way into it or anything like that. 
But ladies and gentlemen, there is a need here. There is a, there is a, I, I, I believe the Spirit of God is crying for his church to assume the, the, the cloak of righteousness and goodness and godliness and all of those other things. God is saying the man of God flees the acts of sin and also the attitude of sin. Number two, the real man, man of God knows how to follow. Back in Timothy here again, just in the first uh, part of this, it says that we are to pursue righteousness. Pursue here is a very strong word. Righteousness in a godly life. Righteousness is simple, personal integrity. I'm doing what's right. Even if what's right may cost me something. Even if what's right may not be popular, but I am a man of righteousness. Righteousness is our inner character. It is our inner character becoming more like Christ as we open our hearts to him and our lives to him. You need to know something. Understand something here, please. This is not done in your own good works, but it comes through Jesus and it happens <clears throat> as we grow in our faith here. Paul is saying if you're going to be a real man of God, you need to, be, you need to pursue and you need to follow after righteousness. Not only that, but pursue godliness. Now, righteousness and godliness, I, I think they're cousins. I see them as cousins in the Bible here. And Paul puts them together like this. Here's how I describe it. Righteousness is personal integrity. Godliness is practical, practical piety. Let me take that one step further. Righteousness is what is happening on the inside of my life right now. You may not be able to see it. You might not be able to view that very well. But I'll tell you what you can see. You can see godliness. Godliness is what we are on the outside. You follow me? Righteousness is what's going on in the inside of my life. Godliness is what is happening on the outside. And do you see why they're cousins? Because the godliness isn't going to happen unless the righteousness is happening too. You can't have one without the other. You, you're not going to be godly on the outside without righteousness actually brewing and working inside your life. And if you say, you say, well, I'm a righteous person, but I'm not so godly on the outside. Well, now let's hold back just a moment. Maybe righteousness isn't as working as well as you think. Maybe you need to rethink that position because these two go together and they're close. Look at some other things we're to pursue. We're to pursue faithfulness. Faithfulness in a lot of areas. We need faithfulness all over the place, don't we? But especially <clears throat> to our spouse, to our children. Pursue love, sacrificial kind of love that goes the extra mile in our life. Paul also says that we're to embrace endurance or patience and that means listen to me saints this is important that means sticking it out when things go tough it means hanging in there when there's pressure on your life 
Paul defines it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, and I'm going to jump through that just a little bit. He says, Paul is, Paul's, talking, Paul's actually talking about himself here a little bit. And he says, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed and broken. We're perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We're hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up and keep right on going. Don't you love that? And I'm telling you, folks, if you know anything about Paul, you know he's been knocked down a lot. He's been crushed a lot. He's been imprisoned. He's had his life on the line. He's been stoned, beaten, everything. He says, this isn't going to stop us. This isn't going to slow us down. And it goes on. And it talks about all of these things. And he says in verse 16, and here's the key, he says, that is why we never give up. We're just not going to give up. Paul is saying we may not understand the why things are happening around us and why things are going on as they are, but we do not give up. We get up and we keep on going, and that's the kind of endurance that real men of God have in their life. Folks, I don't understand something. I don't understand something. I, I know there are people, I think they love God. I think they do, but it makes you wonder. So-and-so didn't smile at me at church, so therefore I'm not coming back to church again. I'm going to tell you something. You need to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and put it to work in your life. There's been a lot of things in my life that I didn't agree with, that I didn't like, but I tell you what, you're not going to keep me out of my church. This is my place. This is my place. And the only way you're going to get me out of here is to roll me down that aisle in a box. I think when we put our feet, this is where I stand. This is where I place my confidence and trust. And by the way, get your eyes on Christ, not people. I guarantee you, you'll get disappointed in people but you'll never be disappointed in Jesus Christ. What are we pursuing? Paul asks the question here to pursue, but what are we pursuing? Am I pursuing some kind of particular lifestyle? Am I pursuing some kind of a title, a name, or whatever it might be? What is my effort? Where do I spend my time and my energy? All of these things deserve questions. All of these things deserve our consideration and the counsel of God. What am I pursuing? When I love Jesus, I'm going to pursue him because I want to be like him. And I want the qualities of Christ living in me, in my life. The third thing, the real man of God knows how to fight. Knows how to fight. Verse number 12 here begins this way, fight the good fight of faith. Who are we fighting against? Paul kind of clarifies this. I think he clarifies it very well. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, and beginning in verse 12, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly flesh. Folks, this is an enemy. This is an enemy that's not flesh and blood. This is an enemy that's very real. This is an enemy that is totally 100% committed to tripping you up, defeating you, discouraging you, flatten you out, and convince you that living for Christ really isn't cracked up to what you thought it was. Amen? And it is. How are we doing in this fight against the principalities? Let's just clarify and make it real simple. How are we doing against the fight against the devil? Some people not well at all. They're getting rolled by him every week. They're getting rolled by him every day. Because they harbor the things in their life. They harbor the habits of their life. And, the, and all of these things accumulate. There's an accumulation, by the way, over a period of time that continues to add weight and add darkness into our lives. That's what it is. The real man of God is one who knows how to flex his spiritual muscle and to do so without fear because he knows that he is on the Lord's side. How are we to fight? There is a major spiritual weapon that God wants to use in our life. And here again, it says, take up the whole armor of God. We take it up. That isn't something that we just stand there and say, well, I hope God puts the helmet of salvation on me and, and the breastplate of righteousness. Here I am standing here. I don't know. How do you do it, Scott? You wear, you wear body armor. Do you just stand out in the driveway while the car's warming up and say, okay, put the body armor on? <laughs> no, you're going to strap that thing on. You're going to cinch it up and everything else. And you have other things that you're dealing with there. These things take an effort, don't they? They take an effort in our life. Faith is going to be a major part of our armor, along with the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. We do it with prayer. We do it with supplication. We do so in the Spirit. This is what it takes to be a real man of God. Real men of God are not spiritual wimps. They're spiritual strong men. They pump spiritual iron, and they're not afraid of the battle. I'm not afraid of the battle, ladies and gentlemen, because I have the armor of God on me. I have the sword of his spirit in my hand, and it's also in my heart, and it's in my head. Okay, come on, enemy. Take me on. We're ready to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you. We will battle you when it comes to my faith, my church, my family, you name it, my walk with God, come on. Because you're a defeated enemy. And you've picked the wrong guy. You've picked the wrong person. I encourage you to fight for your spiritual life. Fight for your children. Fight for your kids. Some of you have got prodigal kids in here. Fight for those kids. Plead the blood of Christ over those kids. Speak the word of God over those kids. Speak it into their life. Speak it over them, even if they're not sitting at your table. Speak that word over them. Pray earnestly 
Pray in the Spirit over those kids. We want them for God. And they need to be ripped out of the hands of the, uh, of the enemy. Fight for your family. Go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan, but God is going to be with you. Lay hold of the promises of God for your family, for your home, for your children. Get a hold of God for your family, for your home. Fight in Jesus' name. Fight until victory comes. That's what a real man of God does. We don't give up because we got our toes stepped on. We don't get up because we took a punch. We keep right on going and fighting for our families, fighting for our kids, fighting for our spouse fighting for an enemy that wants to defeat and tear things to pieces. Keep in mind the words of Joshua. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't think Joshua was any kind of a spiritual wimp. I don't think Joshua was some kind of a pansy guy. Joshua had a family. We know that. And when it came time to go up against the enemies of God, Joshua made it real clear. As for me and my house, Jason, it doesn't matter what the people down the road are doing. It's for me and my house. This is how we're going to serve God. Lisa, it doesn't matter what the person over there says. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Maury, our house, we're serving God. The rest of the neighbors may see it differently. The rest of the neighbors may go this direction or whatever direction, but we're going to serve God. We're serving God. You know what that takes? That takes spiritual courage and spiritual muscle. And you may be sitting here and say, oh boy, I don't know if I got all that courage and all that muscle you're talking. You know what? Yes, you do. First of all, you've got the sword of the Spirit in your hand. That's big. That's big. Second of all, the Bible says you can call on the name of the Lord. And guess what he does? He'll come to your side. He'll pull up right alongside you, Jason, when you're fighting for that family. And you don't fight alone. You fight with the hand of God upon your life, in your life. And you walk with him. That's what a real man of God does. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Not because the wind is blowing right way today. Not because the church is air-conditioned. Not because the seats are padded. We're going to serve the Lord. And that's settled. That's settled. And I think sometimes we just need to say it and settle it. And that's going to be it. <clears throat> I have the armor on. I've got a battle plan. And I'm going to win the victory because who is on the Lord's side? I'm on the Lord's side. And he's on my side. And it's the Lord himself mighty to save. Mighty to save.
Donnelly, would you come back, please? This is Father's Day. And we need to be reminded of these things and how being a real man of God can impact lives and make a vital difference. Whatever good is happening today, I pray that this good will move forward in our life, not just for the moments that we spend here in church, but something, something that moves forward in our life also. And it happens because we fought the spiritual battle, and God is always faithful. Let me tell you from experience, when you fight a spiritual battle and you win the victory in that battle, guess what it does? It puts, a, it puts, a, it puts an iron, if you will, in your backbone. It gives you a strength. It, get, it doesn't make you cocky. Well, better not, or else God can take care of that too. He's pretty good about that. But it will give you a, it will give you a confidence. You know, I've, <clears throat> David said it. <coughs> David said, I faced the lion. I faced the bear. Goliath showed up. I'm ready. Do you really think? I don't know if David ever saw Goliath in his life. But he stared down a bear. He stared down these other enemies. And I can take on this bigger enemy. Why? Because I have experience. I have experience because I know the Lord is on my side. And there it is. There's the key. Because God is on my side. And he's on your side, Dad. He's on your side. And he'll help you to have the victory. Pastor Russ did a funeral yesterday, and I did a graveside service yesterday. It reminds us every time, every time, we have just a short time on this earth. It's not as long as you think. And every one of us is going to leave a legacy. Every one. Every one. I listened to a family at a gravesite yesterday. Talk about dad and talk about grandpa. What he meant to them, what his life meant. Guess what? I didn't hear anything about how big a farmer he was. I didn't hear anything about all of the equipment that he owns. I didn't hear any of that stuff. What I heard was how dad and grandpa impacted my life. What he said to me, how he said it, how he lived his life, godliness, integrity, righteousness. That's what I heard. I've yet to stand at a gravesite and hear somebody say, oh boy, I, I'm giving my kids... I'm giving my kids this farm and they got all this big business and everything. You know what? Fine. That's not the heritage I'm going to leave my kids. It's the kind of heritage that you don't necessarily put in a will. You don't, you don't write this up in a trust. But you live it out. That's the kind of heritage and we declare this on this Father's Day, that we will be real men of God and we will fight the good fight of faith and we will finish our course and as we finish it will be in victory. In victory.
that's the only heritage that matters. Pray with me. Father, I pray today, I pray in the, na <clears throat> in the name of Jesus, that this service, as we prayed at the very beginning, has had a profound impact in people's lives. Whether it's a dad or a mom or whatever, a grandpa or grandma, whoever and however, I pray that it has truly impacted people's lives. It has penetrated into our heart, into our thinking. Father, I pray for our fathers this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus. Help them to be all that you desire for them. Not just good providers, but for powerful spiritual leaders. True men of God. True men of faith. True men of integrity. True men of great character. Father, I pray that you'll help our men to walk in victory. I pray that, Lord, that they will lead their families in victory. Father, I pray for dads today that have their families sitting at their side. I pray for dads today that have a prodigal, not living the way they're supposed to, and they know better. Father, I pray that you'll put up mighty spiritual roadblocks in their life. I am praying right now in the name of Jesus that you will bring discomfort into those prodigals' lives so that soon and very soon they will become running home to the faith of dad and mom, faith of Christ. Father, I pray today that you will use our lives as powerful witnesses to what God can do in a person's life, in a family's life. Cover us with the blood of Christ that we might be protected against the arrows of the enemy. Father, I pray that you'll help us to put up the proper shields and coverings around our families and around our own lives. Father, I pray that you're going to help us not to just let down our guard and to just kind of wander along in a lazy sort of a fashion. But God, keep us diligent, keep us alert, help us to be wise, help us to be filled with your word and with your spirit. So Father, today I pray that, I pray in particular for our dads. I pray that you'll strengthen them and bless them. Let them be encouraged. Father, I pray for people here today that might be here and perhaps realizing that you need Christ in your life. You need Jesus Christ to come in and live in your life and be the Savior and Lord of your life. Father, I want to pray for those people and I pray right now that if there are people here today and you're without Christ, you're without Jesus, it's time to turn that around. It's time to make it right with God. So, Father, I pray that they can follow me in prayer. Follow me right now. Dear Jesus, come into my life and into my heart. I confess that I am a sinner 
and I can't save myself. I can't work for my salvation. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. And so I come to you. I pray for your grace to make Christ real in me today. I ask him to come into my heart. Come in, Jesus. Come in and save me. I believe on you and only you for my salvation. I thank you that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. Today I accept you. I receive you. I respond to you by simple childlike faith. Be my Savior. Live in my heart. Govern my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? I certainly pray that God will take this uh, message and truly allow it to penetrate into your life, deep into your life. And I know we've had more of a focus on dads, but I, Mom, I don't want to forget you either. Because it's really a two-way street here. Because the thing, same things that... We want to see in dads, we want to see in moms too, and to see in the women of our church. I pray especially, I pray often in the week for our single parents. And they've got a tough job. Raising kids, doing it alone many times. I pray for them. I hope you will too. Think of some and pray for them. Okay? I hope you have special plans today. And ladies, if you don't have any special plans whatsoever right now, you know, it'll take you about 20 or 30 seconds to get out of the sanctuary. That's enough time to plan something. <laughs> so get with it right now. Okay? Get with it. Hey, let's lift our hands for the blessing of God. Should we do it together? Father, may the Lord bless and keep your people. Father, cause your face to shine into our lives. Let the brilliance of Christ be seen in our lives. Let the reflection of God be visible in our, in our walk before you. Cause your face to shine upon us. Be gracious. In Jesus' name, amen.